This episode of Where to Begin With will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Strangers on a Train. If you've never seen this movie before and maybe potentially want to send in a review of said movie as part of this series and you don't want it spoiled for you, hit stop right now. Don't progress any further with this episode. However, if you have seen the movie before or you just generally don't care about movie spoilers, then listen on. Don't say you weren't warned. Like you and I. No connection between them whatsoever. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. Fantastic, isn't it? You didn't know when Bruno proposed this pact that he was serious. Dead serious. You had made the mistake of speaking to a stranger on a train. And now, wherever you go, whatever you do, you find yourself dominated by his evil presence. And you, Bruno, to you, killing was the answer. Murder without clue, without motive. The perfect crime, too perfect. <coughs> and Anne, life looked very attractive to you until the love in your heart became gripped by a terror that drew you deeper and deeper into this vortex of conspiracy. a murder on my conscience, but it's not my murder, Mr. Haynes. I wonder if you know how much I love you. Brazen woman, I'm the one to say that. Welcome, ladies and gents, to episode number two, season number three of Where to Begin With. This year, we are doing a run on film noir and neo-noir movies. Across ten episodes, I'll be giving you what I think are ten choice picks to broaden your horizons, tick movies that are widely recognised as some of the best in cinema, but also give you more than a good foothold to expand your knowledge when the season finishes. Uh, At the end of this episode, we will be getting into your reviews of last month's title, The the Opening Gambit, in our look at film noir and neo-noir. We looked at Chinatown and reviews from listeners will be coming up at the end of this episode. However, movie number two sees us play it, I would say, maybe with one of the more safe picks 
overall in the series. We're going to be looking at Strangers on a Train from 1951, directed by the master of thrilling cinema, Alfred Hitchcock. Now, to give you some details about this one, this one here um, is based on the screenplay by Raymond Chandler. Now, Raymond Chandler himself is synonymous with film noir. Um, I mean, the dude pretty much penned everything that you need to know in this genre. But the screenplay was also worked on by Sensei Armandi and Whitfield Cook, who did an adaptation here. What we have is uh, Farley Granger and Robert Walker, two guys who meet each other on a train. A pass encounter, or a chance encounter rather, on a train journey. Um, Farley Granger is a tennis player who is relatively famous and is looking to transition into a new life in politics. Uh, Robert Walker plays a guy called Bruno Anthony, who is a bit of a fantasist, um, comes from a, a well-to-do affluent family, but ultimately left his own devices, has a very fertile imagination. Now, the two guys share something in common. That something in common is a relative that is making their life miserable. And guess what? If that relative wasn't there any more than things might might just work out for the best. In the case of Bruno, his father wants him to get a job, wants him to be responsible, wants him to be respectful. And Bruno doesn't really want to do that. He wants to experience everything life has to offer. He has the ultimate bucket list and he's making his way around all that. And it kind of sounds like his dad is getting ready to cut him off. Guy, on the other hand, um, is already married. And he's married to someone who essentially got with him before he got famous. Um, and she's now got pregnant with someone else. And is going to extort him for money. Uh, but Guy's also in love with a senator's daughter. And he kind of, in an ideal world, he is heading in this journey at the start here to get a divorce. And then live happily ever after. And as the kind of conversation between Guy and Bruno continues on, um, they both get a little bit tipsy. Bruno gets drunk. Um, and Bruno suggests that he has this ultimate plan, this ultimate idea. Because when anyone commits a murder, the first thing people look at, and this is still true to this day, ladies and gents, the first thing the police look at is... Who do they have uh, romantically related to them or familial relations um, as kind of top suspects that have a motive? And it's always the motive that they come back on. Killings tend to be motive-driven. They're very seldom accidental um, or very seldom impulsive. They tend to be because of a motive. And Bruno's idea is the ultimate way to circumnavigate uh, a motive and give yourself an alibi, ultimately, is by meeting a stranger and agreeing to swap murders. So in the case of this one, Bruno will kill Guy's wife, and Guy will kill Bruno's father. The only problem is that Bruno appears to have, you could say, accidentally or maybe intentionally, depending on your view of Bruno as a character, I lean more towards intentionally, um... He is kind of 
misinterpreted the signals that Guy's put out and this idea that he's put forward, which seems outlandish and crazy, Bruno's just going to enact it. And that leads him to kill Guy's wife in an incredible bit of Hitchcockian cinema. He ultimately strangles her to death and you actually see the strangulation through the lens reflection of her broken glasses on the ground. That's kind of fucking amazing, if I'm honest. And um, at that point, he then comes clean to Guy, listen, I've done this for you, get your alibi in order, and oh, by the way, you need to kill my dad. And Guy's obviously shocked at this, but he also becomes a prime suspect, even though he thinks he has an alibi, it's not watertight. He does have motivation for it, or a... You know, he does have um, a modus operandi, ladies and gents. Uh, but, but, at the same time, he's trying to contest his innocence here, even though he knows who the killer is. And then what you essentially get is this thrilling cat and mouse game between Bruno and Guy, and then ultimately Guy's new uh, soon-to-be wife, as things spiral further and further outwards, um, leading to a thrilling conclusion. This movie is, I mean, if you were doing top five Hitchcocks, I would argue Strangers on a Train is, is in there. It would probably be about five for me, five or four. I think this is one of these ones which really kind of showed him almost a decade before Psycho. This was him at peak Hitchcock. Like, the guy could really do no wrong. And it has such a simple premise that it's very difficult to not admire the fact that it holds together so well. Movies that have very simple premises don't have any room to hide behind. And Strangers on a Train is very much that sort of movie where there's nothing that it can really hide behind. You really just have to kind of stick with it and ride out to the end. And if something doesn't really make sense or work, all that well then guess what that means um you, you're a bad filmmaker and Hitchcock never never in a million years was going to let that happen here this is one of these ones as well where Hitchcock essentially pre-planned pre-organized and and wonderfully controlled everything in this movie, um, like, I sometimes think we look at people like Kubrick, um, or even people like Fincher, for example, and, and talk about how much of a taskmaster they are, and meticulously crafting everything out, and we sometimes forget that Hitchcock's the same, in fact, Hitchcock's the, the, the kind of, he's the template, for that, he's um, he was he's a, a a meticulous cinematographer. Like he was famous for you know shooting scenes that that meant they could only be edited in one particular fashion, the fashion that he enjoyed, um, and everything has to make sense. It has to have. I mean, he's got that famous quote: "The audience must suffer," but everything has to be done in a particular way to to shock, but at the same time hold together with theatrical prowess. 
So when we talk about people like William Castle, for example, he's the schlocky Hitchcock. He's the guy that's all gimmick, all sizzle, no steak. Um, but Hitchcock understood that you need the steak, but you need that sizzle. And Strangers on a Train, like I say, is, is one of these ones where it, <laughs> it deliberately leans into all these little nuances and all these little fun macabre little Hitchcockian tropes, but at the same time still works very much as a straightforward plain thriller. Um, Raymond Chandler, who we mentioned before, arguably one of the most important um, screenwriters and authors of the time period for this particular subgenre of cinema. Uh, this was the last script he worked on before he before he passed away. So, and this to me shows that even to the end, this dude was still churning out great, um, you know, great quality content with interesting little twists and turns as he would do. Um, it was another success for Hitchcock. So we haven't quite hit the the point where everything was just like a an absolute run of of anti Midas touch. Although in saying that the the movies before this one, um, movies like Rope, which to this day surprises me that you know it, it didn't perform, but like uh, Rope or Stage Fright, uh, Stage Fright being the year before and Rope a uh, year and a half before that had underperformed. Um, and what they were expecting. So this kind of put Hitchca uh, Hitchcock back in good steads with, with the studios and back on a winning track because this movie is seen as being very successful at the box office and why not? Like I said it before, you get a, like a very, very simple premise delivered very, very well. As the as the rumour mill would suggest, um, Hitchcock, who was generally not all that easy to deal with at the best of times, um, didn't really get on with Raymond Chandler, and would you believe it, it was mostly to do with money, uh, which will be the thing that most times will you know, overturn the apple cart, so to speak. Um, I think this movie is, is kind of phenomenal, um, the big reasons behind it, like I said before, simple premise. Like, simple premise, clean execution, and it relies on two great, great performances playing off each other. The, the, the kind of main one, the MVP of this one, oh, it's always going to be the, the villain, but uh, Robert Walker, who, I think this was his last movie, I think he died not long after this, just delivers a, an incredible, kind of maniacally, devilish and over-the-top performance as uh, Bruno Anthony, one of, one of the great kind of villains of cinema history. Um, and then it's it's like from the point that we know he's essentially killed Guy's wife, um, we're at a, 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 a kind of a pendulum ticking clock time situation counting down the inevitable what is going to happen between these two characters. Is he going to do it? Is he going to kill Bruno's dad? Or is he going to take the fall? Or is it going to end up the way it does in the movie? Strangers on a Train, my second pick. I know what you're thinking. Safe. A very, very safe pick, Duncan. But you know what? Sometimes the classics are classics for a reason, ladies and gents. Um, so yeah, what I need from you is a review 
of Strangers on a Train from 1951. I can't imagine anyone writing into this show this is a first time watch. This is one of the more prominent Hitchcock thrillers. So what I'm needing from you is a review of this. I need it into me no later than Monday the 18th of April. The episode will go out on Friday the 22nd. So a review of Strangers on a Train from 1951. 18th of April it needs to be in. That's a Monday. Episode will drop Friday the 22nd. Let's get into some business from the last episode. Let's do some reviews from listeners of Chinatown. Up first is a review from our good buddy Tim Walker. Um, Tim says, Dear Duncan and Teapots Collective Folk, well, the new film genre on Where to Begin With is one that I have a passing familiarity with, but that's all. Jally and found footage were the ones I knew pretty well, so you're much more likely to pick some movies I've never seen before, but as for me liking them, I make no promises. I've always been a big mystery fan, and what film noir I have seen movie-wise I found interesting, if not outstanding. I've read some classic detective fiction, but not too much in the classic film noir era like Raymond Chandler or... Dashiell Hammett. I'm a pretty big fan of those old radio dramas from the era though, two of them based on Chandler and Hammett's characters, Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade. You can find those old detective shows in podcast form by the way, and they're nearly endless episodes. How about Chinatown? A movie fairly heavily inspired by some of the previous film noirs including Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade and the like. I'd seen it before, several years ago. To be brutally honest, I wasn't a fan. It's top-notch filmmaking, acting and cinematography, costume and set design, music score, etc. But for whatever reason, the movie just didn't work for me. I couldn't quite figure out why I didn't like it, but almost every human being on the planet loved it. It was kind of frustrating, actually. My best guess was I didn't connect with the characters. It was too long and convoluted, and the ending was a bit abrupt. After this watch... Well, I found that there was top-notch filmmaking, acting, cinematography, costume and set design, music score, etc. But I didn't connect with the characters. It was too long and convoluted and the ending was a bit abrupt. I know there are people throwing stuff at their phone or iPad or whatever, but I just can't call myself a fan of this one. There's nothing inferior about it. I know I'm in the extreme minority and I hope... I'm not the only reviewer you get, Duncan, because I know I'm not representative of the movie-going public, uh, or horror fans in particular. Most of the negative reviews I found in IMDb and Letterboxd seem to focus on Roman Polanski outside the film. I don't disagree, but I can focus on the film myself. Not liking this one has been a source of frustration for me, and that happens sometimes. Why does everyone else like this movie and I don't? It's a masterpiece, right? I suppose, but I just can't sign off on it. Despite its positives and my being a fan of detective fiction. Well, it's so well made and I can't give it less than two and a half stars despite my issues with it. Maybe the next movie will work a little better, but who knows? Film noir is hit or miss for me. Apparently... That's regardless of the filmmaker's abilities. In the meantime, I see to my Teapots Collective people, take care, stay safe, and take good care of your nose. Tim, 
Thanks very much, Tim. I th like, we've spoken, we've been round the houses on this one before, Tim. Uh, not every movie is made for everyone. And I never, like, I have some perplexing movies in the in the, the catalogue of experience for me when I'm like that. I just don't get the hype. You know, I just don't understand why people like it. But at the same time, I never let that frustrate me because I... I don't think even if someone fully explained why I a missing connection that I felt I was having with a movie I disliked that everyone liked that it would really change my opinion on it. I tend to go with my gut. I can appreciate very much like yourself great cinematography, acting score, you know, all these things. I, I can appreciate that but still not like a movie. And I can do the reverse. Um, and, you know, like a movie like Pieces, which is almost my example, which is almost a failure in every respect, is a movie that I genuinely adore. And that's just part and parcel of what makes cinema so interesting. Um, we will see where you land with Strangers on the Train. I can't imagine it'll be the first time you've seen that. Um, I imagine very much like myself, you've delved into the oeuvre that it's Hitchcock. But thank you very much for submitting in your review. The next one and final one is the audio review that's coming from our good buddy, David Garrett Jr., who says... Hello, Duncan and T-Puds Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here once again for Where to Begin With. This time to start off with a new series of film noir and neo-noir films. So the first one that was selected, of course, being Chinatown. This is a movie that the first time I saw it, I was in college. Now, this would have been one of my film classes, as I had never really heard of this movie at that point, and when they showed it, I believe we were doing, like, Raymond Chandler type stuff, so I think this might have ended out that whole, like, unit or that class or something along those lines, but I had never kind of correlated that Roman Polanski was the director at that time. Now, when I got a little bit more seasoned into film and everything, I had realized I'd already seen two of his movies for sure at that point of Rosemary's Baby and The Ninth Gate. Rosemary's Baby, one of my favorite of all time. Chinatown is one that I hadn't seen since then, but being more of a cinephile, I knew that I would eventually come back to it, so I will thank you, Duncan, for having this being part of the series here. Now, I watched this movie before listening to what you said about it, Duncan, as I wanted to revisit it and make sure that whatever you were saying wouldn't kind of influence me, so that way when I heard your thoughts on it, I could kind of correlate and everything, you know, before doing this. Now, I'm glad that I did. You hit on some good points for sure. For the two-hour runtime that we have, it doesn't feel like it. I got sucked into the story, and just seeing how Jack Nicholson become J.J. Giddis is just spot on. The arrogance he brings to the role is great. It is a movie that makes me realize how good of an actor he can be at times, because I get a little bit jaded by some of his later work. Now, we have a great story here. I like that Jake knows more than what he sees. He gets hired by Ida, who he believes to be Evelyn Mulray. When he gets on this path of clearing his name and then ultimately solving the case, his eye for detail is on point. This movie embodies being a neo-noir film for sure, while still feeling like it could have fallen in that original stretch of, you know, film noir. JJ is such a great hard-nosed P.I., Faye Dunaway is a different take on the femme fatale, and she's quite gorgeous in this one. We even have Polanski himself doing, as you were saying, a Hitchcock impersonation as a thug, which is interesting since Hitch, you know, making some of the best films in the subgenre. And something else I kind of wanted to say here as well is I love the bleak ending that we get at the end. Now, I knew some of the things before watching it this time around, but I didn't fully remember how they all fit together. So as things are falling into place, it kind of clicks back. 
And then the ending, I was kind of just shocked because I didn't remember being that, you know, dark. But I will say as well, the acting here from our leads and the supporting cast is great. I did not bring up that John Huston is here and he's such a villainous guy here that it works. I love the cinematography. It makes it actually feel like it's from like the 1930s, but just being in color. The soundtrack, as you said, is also on point, and this is just an excellent movie, and I'm glad that I finally had the chance to revisit this one, Duncan. So, for me, having this being the second watch for this one, I can firmly say that this movie is a 5 out of 5 for me in my rating on the T-Put scale. Having now rewatches, I can definitely see why you selected this as the first movie, as it does feel like it's a little bit easier to digest for those that are new to this subgenre. Don't think there's anything else that I want to kind of delve into for this movie here, Duncan. So what I will say is I'm glad to hear this is what we've selected for this one. Can't wait to hear what everybody else thinks about this one. And can't wait to rewatch Strangers on a Train because that is one that I've seen at least a couple times for sure. This is David Garrett Jr. and I am signing off. And thanks very much to David Garrett Jr. for submitting in his review. Right, well there we go, mixed bag as you can imagine, it always is on these shows in one way, shape or form, but I'm interested to see what you guys make of movie selection number three. This is from 2005, I adore this movie, like I probably like it a lot more than a lot of people do. Um, and this one is definitely a neo-noir, but it has so much, so much nostalgia for good old-fashioned classic film noir that is difficult not to put a wry smile on my face being as much a fan of the genre that I am. This one is one of the early films for Rain Johnson. This one is Brick and that will be movie number three for us. I will be very curious if you guys have seen this one before. It kind of came out to relative obscurity it wasn't one of these big ones and it definitely has a kind of indie filmmaking aesthetic but it has an incredible cast headed up by joseph gordon levitt so yeah this one uh, will be fun to see how we get on with uh, but certainly wears its influences fully on its sleeve the synopsis is a teenage loner pushes his way into the underworld of a high school crime ring to investigate the dis disappearance of his ex-girlfriend so that will be movie number three. Like I see, we will be discussing that movie in one month's time, ladies and gents, on Friday, April 22nd. That's when that episode drops. You need to get your reviews of Stranger on a train into me no later than Monday the 18th of April. And there we go. That brings us to the end of another episode of Where to Begin With. Thank you very much for everyone who is checking out these shows. The numbers are going up, which makes me quite happy. I know there's a lot of people listening to the shows, but you're all shy when it comes to sending in reviews. And that is cool. Um, the the key is that you're at least watching the movies and joining the journey through we play plenty of twists and turns left in our film noir neo noir season so all that's left for me to say is take care of yourselves out there till the next time I speak to you and this is Duncan McLeish signing off <laughs>